right, all right, all right, all right. Day 209. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so it's so much I want to say today. Uh, first and foremost, I am doing this podcast from Scotland, right? I have made it to the UK uh, with my beautiful and wonderful wife god bless shout out to my beautiful wife jasmine pinkney um we would not be doing this without her uh we are in scotland i am recording this podcast uh in my uh flat slash apartment uh in uh garbridge uh scotland in the u in the uk uh, i'm here to do a phd in hebrew bible old testament and i'm just so excited that i'm actually doing this right and uh and yeah get to tell you about ezekiel today um so yeah man just um wanted a life update for more on that that journey and what this is like i would advise you to subscribe to the patreon right where i will be sharing uh, much more in-depth details pictures videos uh podcasts with the patreon about how this thing is actually going and how it will be going so um yeah might as well just jump into the text today um it's day 209 we're starting the book of Ezekiel, and um, yeah, Ezekiel, we're moving right through the Old Testament. We're almost done with the Old Testament. Um, Ezekiel is the third and final major prophetic book of the Hebrew Bible, right? So Ezekiel is this prophet priest who is prophesying to the exiles in the Babylonian kingdom, right? So Ezekiel is in exile. He, he gets this message in exile, right? And so his name means God strengthens, right? God is going to strengthen him to proclaim this message of prophecy to the exiles. Now, Ezekiel uh, is prophecy, but this book, in terms of genre, is also something called apocalyptic literature, right? So apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic literature uh, is basically, as one scholar says, it's intended for a group in crisis with the purpose of exhortation and or consolation by means of divine authority, right? And so, all he's doing is get receiving this revelation from God and giving it to a group of people who are in crisis. Now, there are some features of apocalyptic literature that I'm going to go through really quick. But when you think of apocalyptic literature in the Bible, it is books like Daniel. It is books like Revelation and it is books like Ezekiel. Right. It is also uh, books in the Second Temple period. That is uh, the period between the Old and New Testament books like Fourth Ezra. Right. Um, they all have the same kind of themes and structure. And you see in these books a ton of imagery, uh, really odd scenes. Uh, it is highly um, symbolic. Uh, we see the use of numbers that are used to represent different periods of time, all these things. Um, and usually apocalyptic literature uh, usually includes a suffering and oppressed people, right? Uh, it, it usually includes a people who were in captivity to a powerful foreign ruler, right? Uh, it, it reminded the audience that there was a higher power in charge, right? And that this higher power, the Lord, right, was on their side, right? And so in one day, according to this literature, one day in a final event of judgment, all will be made right. And so the last days would come according to this literature, and the kingdom of God would be revealed, right? So this is all uh, characteristics of apocalyptic literature. And if you see, if you read the books of Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation sometime, you'll see just how similar they are. And they actually, this for free too, um, like like uh, uh, Revelation, he uses Ezekiel a ton. Like he uses so much imagery. He uses, he quotes from it. He alludes to it. He echoes it, right? And he pulls on it a ton to, to proclaim his um, revelation as well. Now, for the book of Ezekiel though, three main parts, 
uh, and then this could get really long, but I'm going to just be really brief here. Three main parts, one to 24 prophecies of judgment against this rebellious house, Israel, right? It is uh, prophecies by Ezekiel to Israel how, about how they are in a rebellious house and then how they are uh, uh, spiritually dead, right? Uh, 25 to 32, chapters 25 to 32 are prophecies against the nations, right? The Lord is not just the Lord of Israel, but the Lord of the nations as well. And then 33 to 48, you have oracles and prophecies of restoration right prophecies of restoration and so jump into the text finally <laughs> ezekiel 1 starts out first chapter um you can get lost in the details but essentially what happens is this ezekiel has already went into exile as we said before um and once again there were waves right of of the israelites going into exile so uh 605 right and ending beginning in 605 ending in 586 and so ezekiel is already there he's already in exile so the prophets we know receive visions and dream dreams remember numbers chapter 12 Particularly here, though, in this vision, we get a glimpse um, of Ezekiel uh, in this in this visionary entrance into the heavenly council, right, of the Lord. Uh, and this is one of the marks of a true prophet. Every true prophet was called up into the heavenly uh, uh, council, uh, the divine council, the heavenly places of the Lord, right? And we talked about this some with Jeremiah, but prof prophets must be called up into the glory presence of the Lord. Why? To receive heavenly revelation from the Lord, <laughs> right? So they can receive the revelation from the Lord and then preach it to the people. And so in this vision, he sees, right? He has his vision. He sees one like an Adam or a son of man or a human being, right? Sitting on the throne of God. And the throne is so surrounded with these really weird creatures <laughs> that are known as cherubim right and they are always in the presence of god if you go back to genesis chapter 3 uh 324 i believe you have the cherubim guarding the way to the garden of eden after adam and eve get kicked out now um so he he sees this he sees the throne um and they usually were meant to uh, uh enforce divine judgment and so he sees this vision of this throne and these cherubim surrounding it uh indicating that this one would uh, uh, bring divine judgment. Now, nonetheless, the text says this, this was the appearance of the likeness of the Lord's glory. When I saw it, I felt face down and heard a voice speaking. Now, whenever we are gripped with the glory of God and his majestic presence, we are forced to do nothing but bow down and worship him out of fear and reverence and awe of him, right? And Ezekiel sees this grand vision of God in his glory and majesty, and he is forced to fall face down and forced to submit to this glorious and majestic God. Now, his 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 this scene, this theophany, this this vision, all of these things uh, echoes again Jeremiah chapter one, like we talked about before, Exodus chapter three with Moses, uh, Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah is caught up into uh, the temple. But uh, Ezekiel receives a similar thing here. Jeremiah twenty three eighteen says that prophets must be caught up into the heavenly places, the heavenly council of the Lord. Ezekiel two comes. If he if, if chapter one was about the vision, then chapter two we get his commission, right? His 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 commission narrative. Now, just like we saw with Isaiah and Jeremiah, we see with Ezekiel as well. God is going to commission them for a particular task with a particular ministry. He will say, no. Look at verse uh, three. He said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to the rebellious pagans. Stop right there. He says they are pagans. In other words, Israel had become worse than the pagan nations who didn't know God, right? Who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors, the text says, have transgressed excuse me, against me to this day. And he says, no, no, he, you are to mention, you are to speak, thus saith the Lord. And guess what? Don't be scared. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Just like the Lord told Jeremiah. No, no, I need you to fear me more than you fear them. How many times have we not told the truth because we fear people more than we fear God? 
God is saying, I'm going to have you say hard things, but I need you to be more afraid of me and fear me than you do losing a friendship or a relationship. All right. He also mentions that the spirit that was guiding and around the throne in, in chapter one is the one that is uh, 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 comes and enters his own body in this chapter. Right. And so once again, we see him embodying the message he is going to proclaim. This is a message of judgment. Yes. But at the same time, it is one of hope through a new heart and a new spirit that we'll see later. Right. When he talks about the restoration of Israel, it'll come because of his spirit. And so you see him even embodying the message there. Right. Um, that enables obedience. Uh, so God does that here for Ezekiel, right? He has uh, him endowed with the spirit so that he can preach the message uh, of, of Yahweh, the covenant uh, word of Yahweh. Now, the Holy Spirit, um, side note, in, in, in Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon selected persons uh, temporarily, uh, 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 those who were anointed for a specific service or task, right? We see that uh, all throughout the Bible, uh, especially with the prophets, right? And he says um, in, in seven, verse seven, I love this. He says, speak my words to them, whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are rebellious. In other words, he says, no, 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 obedience, obedience. Listen to this, obedience to say what the Lord calls us to say and speak the message he calls us to speak should never be predicated or fluctuate solely based on how it's received or solely based on how people respond to it. Our job is to be faithful and stick with the words of scripture. Listen, whether they listen or not, he's saying, Ezekiel, you have to do this. In chapter three, he continues, Ezekiel eats the scroll, right? And this is symbolic. Remember, apocalyptic literature has all of this symbolic imagery. He eats the scroll. He internalizes the message of God so that he could proclaim it. And it's sweet here, the text says. In other words, God's words are pleasurable and should be pleasurable to his people. But um, later, it'll talk about how the words are bitter because it's words of judgment. Now, Yahweh says something interesting. The Lord says something interesting to Ezekiel in his text as well. He says, if I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him. You don't speak out to warn him about this wicked way in order to say, his life that wicked person will die for his iniquity yet i will hold you responsible for his blood what does he mean in other words he says no no, no. ezekiel this message is a double-edged sword right it was supposed to cut both ways exhort the righteous to stay on the path and stay in covenant faithfulness with me but also rebuke the wicked and let them know that their actions would merit or what their actions would actually merit them and also he said no no like i'm holding you accountable for what you do right and i think that's one of the themes that'll come up in ezekiel over and over he's like no like we're all responsible before god for what he's called us to do for being faithful to the very ministry and message that he has told us uh to proclaim and he's given to us right and so he gives that too here to the prophet right and so finally in this chapter you have ezekiel right going mute <laughs> my man goes mute uh, and he has this episode of being mute and powerless, and this usually symbolizes being overcome by supernatural power. Uh, and the same, and the thing, uh, that theme kind of runs through the end of chapter three and comes up later in the book as well. And then as we move to chapter four, the Lord says this, now you, son of man, take a brick, set it in front of you and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then he says, uh, you know, lay siege to it, right? Take an iron plate, set it up as an, uh, iron wall between yourself and the city, face it. Uh, so it is under siege and besiege it. This will be a sign for the house of Israel. So it's another prophetic sign act. In other words, uh, Ezekiel begins to enact a symbolic action of the siege of Jerusalem, right? The capital city of the southern kingdom. We talked about it in Jeremiah. And then at the end, later, he says this. 
uh, he talks about uh, laying on his side. So we have another weird sign that uh, Ezekiel is told to lie down his side for 390 days, his left side. And then the iniquity of the house of Israel will be placed on him. <laughs> he will bear the, the iniquity of the house of Israel. Then he's to turn over on the other side, right? The right side and lay on that, his, that side for 40 days, right? And the iniquity of the house of Judah will be placed on him, right? And what, what the text says is, that each of these days symbolized a year. Now, many people have speculated about what this means. It, it is a lot of uh, divergent interpretations, but I will say this. Um, some say, hey, you know, Ezekiel uh, is told to lay on his side first for 390 days, which symbolized 390 years, right? To calculate the 390 years backwards from 586 BC, when, when, when Judah was, was besieged by Babylon, if you go back 390 years, you make it to 570 or excuse me, to 976 BC, right? That's when, guess what? That's when Solomon finished the temple. And so what someone says, Hey, the 390 represents this, the, the, the 390 years, check it, that Israel has been rebelling ever since the temple was standing, right? The whole time God had dwelt in their presence, they was wilding. So that's what the 390 stand for. And some say, hey, well, what about the 40 years? Well, the 40 years actually stands for the 40 years in the wilderness where, where Israel uh, uh, came out of Egypt and they were in the promised land for 40 years. The text even says it was, was for um, 40 years for the 40 days that they was wilding, right? Um, when they went to go spy out the land. And for 40 years, they were uh, in the wilderness. And so the Lord, some say, hey, the Lord is saying, no, no, for those 40 years, they were wilding. Now, 390 plus 40 <laughs> equals 430. And so they were in um, Egypt for 430 years, uh, the, uh, the Old Testament says. Uh, and, and, and some would say, hey, the whole 430 years they were even in Egypt, <laughs> they was wilding, right? And I don't think, um, yeah, there, there's so many different ways to take the 430, the 390, and the 40. There's so many ways people have speculated. Again, we can't be over overly dogmatic about the numbers. Why? Because this is apocalyptic literature. And just like the book of Revelation gives us a ton of numbers that we don't take literally. Uh, there's Here's who's to say that we should take these literally here. I think the thing that is clear, though, wherever you land, I think the thing that we can come away with is this, is that Israel and Judah has been in rebellion against the Lord for a very long time, <laughs> for centuries. And what the God does here is he raises up the prophet, yes, to rebuke them for it, but he also uses them in this specific text to reveal to them that someone must bear the brunt and weight of that punishment for their sins in order for the sins to be atoned for and forgiven. And I think the New Testament reminds us, shows us and reveals to us that there is a prophet. There is a prophet priest from the line of David who does just that, who takes our sin and thus removes it from us so that we can be forgiven our sin and brought into fellowship with God. If nothing else, we ought to remember that truth today and our praise should be pointed in the direction of the true prophet priest king jesus let's pray god we ask that we will remember king jesus and the way he atoned for and bore our sin i pray that you will reveal to us what you want to reveal to us through your word and i pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word deceiving ourselves but we will be